worst spot to put that. Let's take a moment and pray. Jesus, will you still our hearts and minds? So many things competing for our affections. And I pray for your Holy Spirit to focus, to be preeminent, to, for us to recognize that you're great, that our spirits will be still so that we can hear what you want to say to us today. I pray, Lord, for your guidance as I speak and for you not to be limited by your vessel. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. It's good to be home, and I, I said that in the first service, and some of you guys don't know me, so you don't know that this is my home, um, but uh, I, uh, I started here in third grade. My dad was at Andrews Air Force Base for a long time, and I, I um, was in the beginnings, like we met at J.P. Ryan, so we weren't in that first Bible study, but that next group of people in the history of this church um, was my parents and my family, and uh, so I, I just have a long-standing love of this place, and every time I come back, I it's kind of sad, but I for, you forget. Like, I don't know if you guys are from other places, but when you go home, you're just reminded, right? And you meet the people, and your passion and your connections are renewed, and so that's been a, a really full weekend for me of connecting with people, and I've loved it. Um, and as I, I came today, Rick wanted me to talk a little bit about uh, mission and how mobilizing people is important. And, and I wanted to step back for you guys and, and think a little bit. The first question I want you guys to think is, why in the world would we ever do anything with missions? Because the why is, you know, if you guys are TED fans, Simon Sinek says you've got to start with the why before the what and the how. So we're going to spend some time on the why this morning. But, but I wanted you to just think about a word. And the word is recalibrate. Have you guys ever had a car that's got a needed alignment? Well, it, it pulls, right, one direction or the other, and it's, it's not calibrated correctly. Or, you know, if you have a scale at your house that weighs you heavy or light, right, well, it kind of screws up your maintenance of your weight, you know. Or, I mean, there's all kinds of things, you know, torque wrenches, all that stuff. It has to be set to the standard. And once you get off the standard, it starts impacting the way you live. And if you're navigating, if your GPS is off, I mean, don't you love it when your GPS is about 10 meters off the road or, like... It's important. We've got to be centered around the standard. And in the gospel right now, I think there are some things that are happening in our church where we are actually missing, we're not calibrated to the gospel and the Great Commission commandment. And so, how many of you guys have ever had instruction of any kind, like golf lessons, piano lessons, cooking lessons? Yeah, you haven't done any of that stuff? So, it's great when you're with the instructor, right? What happens when you go to practice by yourself? Like, you need a little work, right? And, then you, and, and if you continue in those wrong practices, your productivity in that area continues to suffer, so you need to go back. Well, um, I think this is a 2004 a Nike commercial, but it'll help make the point just a little bit for you guys. So in the passage we're going to look at today, 
Jesus is trying to recalibrate his disciples. He knows, he knows that they're not quite on task with what he's saying. He also knows that we're human and that we will go astray, we'll get lost, we have short memories, we forget stuff, and we need an example. And so as soon as Tiger leaves the line, obviously it's all fictitious, but, but we lose sight of, of the standard. And so he's going to remind them. But, I, but I want, I'm going to give you a, a chart here in a second, but people right now are ignorant of the Great Commission for a couple of reasons. One, we have started to make church so much about hoarding, like we've held it all in all of our resources. Most church programming is for the people in the church. Not a terrible thing, but it's a, it's we're, we're just a couple degrees off of center, right? And the other thing is, sometimes we think we pay people to do that job. We've got pastors; it's their job to share the gospel. We got missionaries; we we support those people. And then we go to work every day. And that has never, ever been the standard. So I, I want you guys to see um, Barna. You guys familiar with the Barna Group? They do a bunch of research. They surveyed. It says on their bottom, 1,004 U.S. Christians, um, all age groups, including pastors. And you see that gigantic blue 51%? When they said, hey, can you tell me what the Great Commission is? That was the question. 51% of the people had no idea. And these are people in churches. Not just those other churches that we talk about that don't preach the gospel. These are the churches that we go to. Um, it's not good. It's because we have, churches become about us a little bit. And that is never the right thing. It's always about Jesus. You heard Courtney say it. Lord, this is yours. Do with it what you want, right? He's saying, okay, it's mine, and, and I'm telling you what I need you to do with this. The second thing is, um, let me go over here. But, oh, I need to go back one. Um, my wife... Um, was a pastor's kid. Her dad was a preaching pastor for 35 years. And so, you know, if you think anybody should get this, right, should it be her? She'll probably be mad at me for saying that when she hears the sermon later. Um, but it's fair. She, so they moved from, Indiana, uh, from Denver, Colorado, where her dad had been a pastor for seven years, to Indianapolis, Indiana. They got a new youth pastor. He recognized the way, right away that Kathy's a, a leader. Um, and he said, I want to, he said, Kathy, you are a leader. I need you to share the gospel with your friends. And Kathy would say, no, Dave, that's your job. She would come back next week. Dave would say, Kathy, you're the best person to reach your peers. And she'd say, nope, I'll bring them to youth group. You tell them. And so they had this dialogue back and forth. But she really thought it was his job until one day she realized, well, he actually convinced her. He said, look, who goes to games with them? Who goes to parties with them? Who's at school? Who knows when they're sad and upset? Because it's not the middle-aged white dude. It's you. And so she, she changed. And, and it's fascinating um, my youngest daughter is a lot like my wife. We had the very same conversation with her. Moira, do you see all of those girls are following you? I'm not a leader, Dad. Yes, you know, but it's in all of us. We know what it requires, and we resist it. And it's not somebody else's job. So let's look at the passage, because I think what I want you to see is we got to get on, we got to get measured up to the right thing. So this is the passage. And, and I actually, when I was studying this, um, what we're about to do, it, it shocked me uh, when I was reading it. Because I was, you know, really thinking about the Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, the ends of the earth. Because I'm like, that's what we're talking about, missions. But this first part absolutely struck me. And so this is the ESV Acts 1, 6 through 9. He says, so when the Lord had come, to, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, 
Will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, they were, and they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And then the next verse says, um, two men appeared and said, why do you stand here? He will, he will return as he's come. And so they're kind of saying, look, get out of here. This is done. But they start with a question. And, and let, me, let me ask you this question. In the mind of the Jew at this time, what was their greatest concern and the thing they wanted Jesus to do? What was that? He, yes, get rid of the Romans. Yeah, get rid of the Romans. And so let's, we won't spend a lot of time on history, but history really helps. So there was a guy named Herod the Great, and Herod the Great did a wonderful job of restoring like the temple and the ports and the baths. He made the city and kingdom of Israel glorious again. That's why he's called great. No, he wasn't a great guy. They, none of them were very nice. But in terms of actually restoring the prosperity of Israel, he did a great job. He did a lot of that work under the Roman Empire, so he really worked hard at relating with them. He dies. His three kids take over. One of them does a really bad job and gets replaced by a Roman prefect. But you see what happened? It just went from a Jewish ruler to a Roman ruler. And in, even in Herod's time, they were having rebellions. They were not happy that the Romans were over them. They were having to engage in things they didn't like. They were having to accept things. They were being taxed. They just didn't like it. And as you see, those rebellions continued to grow to the point where people were rioting and the Roman government was upset and made them pay reparations for the damages. And eventually in 66, they had a war. Um, and then Josephus was in charge of coming down and suppressing the Israelites. So this book is written in 62. So this is right in the middle of all that chaos. And these are internal rebellions. They're rebelling not only against the current Jewish leadership, but the Romans. And sometimes we forget that our political situation is just the same record playing over and over again. They, they had a situation they didn't like. And it was frustrating to them. And so their first question, remember, this is their very last moment with Jesus. Now, they don't know that, but Jesus knows it. And their question to him is, are you going to establish the throne of Israel? But can you see why they asked that question? I mean, we could very much ask, Lord, when are you coming back? When are you going to fix this mess that we're in? It's terrible. Didn't you see that there are boarding full-term babies? He sees, right? He gets it. But I think we can relate to them. It's not the way we want it. We want it different. And so as we move forward, I, I just want to, I mean, look at what he says. He, so they ask this question, and what's his response? He says, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed in his own authority. He said, look, guys, that's not your concern. And they're going, well, wait, wait, what do you mean it's not our concern? No, they don't get to reply. We didn't hear that. But I think in my heart, that's like, are, are you serious? Like, what, okay, then what do you want us to do if that's not what we're supposed to be about? Look who they also point to. Who's the focal point? Lord, who, who are they wanting to establish the kingdom? 
you, Lord, will you do it? They want Jesus to do this for them. And they kind of want to ride his coattails. And so then he does this thing, which he always does, right? He kind of flips it on his head. And he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. And you will be my witnesses. Who's the focus on? What did he just do to them? He just switched that sucker up, didn't he? He said, guys, look, you don't know it, but I'm about to leave in 25 seconds. And, and I am telling you that I have been preparing you for this moment. You will receive power. And they're thinking, great, I got power, right? But it doesn't say conquerors, does it? It doesn't say overlords. It doesn't say oppressors. It says witnesses. Like, you guys, I don't know, I haven't been in court much, but witnesses don't do a lot but tell the story, right? That's not quite what they maybe were hoping for. I don't know. But, but it's important to sit here for a minute. He just shifted that. Remember that idea of my wife saying, it's your job, Dave? And remember, we're going back. These are Jesus' disciples. These are the ones who are going to spread the gospel. He had to get them centered. They had to be recalibrated from this nationalistic Israel kingdom that they were thinking about. He's saying, look, my kingdom is so much broader than what you think. So much broader. It's beyond the borders of this city, this state. It's even those Sumerians you don't really like. And guess what? It's the Gentiles, which you really hate. He is reframing. He's making the standard. You have got to comply with this. No, we know they didn't do it, right? They stayed in Jerusalem, and then they had to get persecuted to get separated. But they did stay. They did wait for the Holy Spirit. I mean, they did listen to that part. But, I, but you guys... Do you hear me when I'm saying he is saying it is your job to be witnesses? So let's talk about what does it mean to be a witness for a second? What were they witnesses to? What just happened? So Acts is the follow-up. It's the sequel to Luke, if you want to do it in our modern terminology. And so in Luke, it ends with Jesus dying and rising from the dead, right? What did they see in Luke? They saw the blind healed, the lame walk, they saw lepers restored, they saw women given value, they saw outcasts um, restored, they saw the dead rise, they saw miracles. They, they actually performed miracles as Jesus sent them out. They experienced who? The power and the love of Jesus Christ. They were witness to the Messiah. So when he says, you're my witnesses, what in the world is he wanting them to tell? He, he's not asking them to tell about their Israel kingdom and history. He's not asking for their political, socioeconomic um, structure. He's saying, look, I want you to witness that I love you and I changed your life. And that I have the power to overcome sin and death. But you see how that's different? If we're just stating some ideology it's just another religion but we are sharing about a person the god who lived in flesh and changed me you see how that changes the way it, all of a sudden i want to start talking about jesus but if i'm just sharing this 
it's kind of dry and dead. Not kind of, it is. It is dead. It's not, and I'm not, just so you hear me say, I'm not saying we don't do theology. Because this here is based in the trueness of Jesus. But if we divorce it from, you know, like we're just sharing this without our experience, it's not any good. Here's something I want you guys to think about for a second. I really think it's impossible for you to share the gospel or participate in the Great Commission if you're not in touch with the witness, the, with the ways you've witnessed Jesus in your life. Because what is it you're offering then? Something you have, not something he has. We have seen and we are different. Take a moment for a second. Just pause. And I'm going to give you about a minute. And I know that feels awkward and weird. But take a moment and let the Holy Spirit ask him, show me some ways that I have witnessed Jesus this week, this month, this year, maybe even this morning. Just sit with that for a second. How has Jesus showed up in your life recently? Is he showing you guys stuff? You know, I was talking with somebody from the first service, and I'm like, if I don't take time to remember, I forget. I do. And you know, one of the things you guys have heard, do not fear, is quoted so many times in Scripture. You want to know one of the other things that Scripture says? Remember. Remember. And there's a reason. They had all these festivals in the Old Testament to remember what God did. Because we're human and we forget, we need to have a practice of remembrance. And so she said, I just need to write stuff down. Do it. You will find that reflection, remember, remembering, and thankfulness will keep you in touch with the way Jesus loves you. We just forget stuff. I mean, it, we do, and it's not on purpose. It's just part of our limited nature. But we have to be disciplined. But when you have that and you're continually remembering Guess what you want to talk about? You have something to offer. You don't need to convince people's hearts. You just need to tell them, I'll tell you what, guys. I prayed for this and the Lord offered it to me. Here's a way that I saw him. I was really this or that. They may think you're crazy, but that's not the point. Your point is just to be the witness. Remember? In a trial, the witness just tells the story Somebody else has to make the judgment and the pronunciation, right? And the truth, the, the jury has to be convinced. But that's not your job. That's the prosecutor's job, right? Jesus is that person. He's the convincer. He says, look, have you seen my servant? You know? So I just want you guys to, it's not, like, it is you who need to be the witnesses. It's him who does the work. So let's talk a little bit about, I mean, some of these things in here. And I, I want you like, we talked about the why. Why? Because he's changed us. Because he's loved us. Now this is a little bit more about the what and the how. What does that look like? Where does it happen? Why in the world would we do it? 
So you guys think he left this, he left this Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. You guys remember, so Jerusalem is the city, right? Well, where would that be for us? It's right here. It's in, I mean, it's where you live. I actually think it's the most geographic-centric place you are. You are there. Most of the Great Commission should happen right there. Most people are not going to go to Papua New Guinea. They're not going to go to Germany. They're not going to go. They're going to be right here. And Jesus knew if you love your neighbor, that's the best witness that we can have. So think about it. You guys are on sports teams. You go to clubs. You work. You shop at the same stores. You see people every day, and they are lost. And the best thing we have is that they're valued by the holy God, and they deserve love. And so we have that to offer. So think, think about the things you can do. I mean, you guys have heard these, but letting somebody in front of you in line, right? Being kind in traffic. I mean, you may never see that person again. You, you can just be a nice person, right? That, that goes a long way. What, what about beyond that? Well, one of the things we know, um, there was a survey, and I read it, and it was about seminary students. And so they did this exercise, and they didn't know that it was an exercise. So they, they had to go from one place to another to preach a sermon, and they gave them a certain amount of time. And they actually put people along their route who needed help. And when they had no time, almost all of the seminary students drove right by the people who needed help. But if they added space, they didn't make them rush, the number, the more time they had, the more seminary students stopped to help. Now, what story does that remind you of, right? The Good Samaritan. Our busyness eats up our opportunity to be witnesses sometimes. And so we need to create some space. So maybe we leave for work a little earlier. Maybe we don't fill our schedule so crazy full. Because when somebody's on the side of the road and they can't change their tire, it might be our job to help. I, I had a, my boss at Cadence. His wife went to the airport. She was coming home, and there was a family um, of seven or eight Arabic people, and they were flying in from Saudi Arabia, and they had been detained by security. Um, so long that they missed their flight and they couldn't get out to the next day. And they had never been to Denver. And so she said, hey, how about you come stay at my house? I don't, I, I just have to tell you, I didn't do that. That wasn't me. I wouldn't. But I was so blown away. And they brought this entire family home that they had never met and housed them. Is there a better way? For us to share the gospel. Now we, and I'll say this too. You share the gospel with your actions. But it, but it is the love. You also have to use your words. You have to tell them. When you've built an audience. To say there's something. Like this, this thing that you're struggling with. And I'm helping with. That is a small issue. That's one of the problems. But there's a bigger issue you don't know about. It's that you have a separation from God. And all this other stuff you're doing. It doesn't work. He is the only way to solve that absolute idolatry in your heart. You have to get him right and worship him and ask for forgiveness and be restored. That, that is the gospel. But you got to do both. So just hear me when I say that too. I'm not just talking about just social exercise. We have to tell the truth. What are some other things we can do in community? You can help people. I mean, there are people always in need of help. What do you guys think Judah is if we move forward? 
So if, if Jerusalem is the city, Judah would be part of the state. So remember, Israel was broken up into you know, to Judah and Israel. So there was 11 tribes in one. But it's your region, right? Have you ever thought, like, I wonder sometimes, you know, I, I tried to, I applied for about 60 church jobs and didn't get any of them. But if I was in charge of a church, I would want 50% of my resources going into the community. There are sports teams that need coaches. There are kids who need, you know, like, like coaching and educational things. There are volunteer positions out there in the region. They need people who are Christ lovers. There are homeless shelters. There are also all these things the, in the community that we can do. The second one is, or the third one, I mean, it, it, it's just a bigger version. Um, and I also think sometimes the Israelites didn't like Judah. Sometimes they felt a little elitist about those guys. Um, and I think God, God loves the proud and the humble. So the next one is the humble. So you guys remember Samaria? What was the Israelites' customs when traveling near Samaria? Where would they go? They would go around it, okay? So I'm just going to have you think, where do you drive around here that you won't go through? You don't have to say it out loud, but you, you know the place, right? That could be your Samaria. The people who it's inconvenient, it might not be safe. Those are the Samarians. They, they might have felt unworthy. Who knows? But our job isn't to judge. And Jesus really set things on his head when he did that, the Samaritan parable. He said, look, these people that you think are invaluable they actually are kinder than you are sometimes. But there are ministries there that you can partner with. There are people in churches, and um, we had a, just down the street from our office at headquarters, there were some folks who worked with the homeless in the region, and, um, you know, we didn't know what we were doing, but we could go work with them, and they could tell us what we were doing. I think you really should partner with people in that region. It's a good thing. Sometimes, and then the last one, the ends of the earth, how many of you guys have been to a foreign country? D.C. doesn't count, I don't think. But. <laughs> but that's good. There is something about your worldview that changes when you go to a different place. You see people for who they are. You get to be on their land. But when he talks about the ends of the earth, what's one of the ways you think you guys can join the mission going out? It's real simple. You got this board full of missionaries over here. You should be giving to the Great Commission. You should. You can also give to children who live in foreign countries. You can, you can give to that ministry here, right? There, you should be giving. That's, that's a simple one. The second one is I encourage all of you to go. Go on a mission trip. Go see something that's different. And often... In the missionary world, there's a lot of discussion on short-term trips are valuable. Absolutely. They're a lot of work because it's most often your heart that's changed more than the long-term work. But in that changed heart, think about, we just talked about what did the disciples witness? They witnessed changed hearts and lives. A changed heart is really valuable to the kingdom because then you look different, you think different, you spend different, you act different. And then some of you should go. Some of you guys should go to the mission field. If you, just, if you just can't get that out of your mind and you think about lost people all the time, 
you probably have the gift of evangelism. You need to develop that. You need to go. You need to look, explore missions. But these are the things. Your Jerusalem, what are you doing there? And I, I, I skipped a story I probably should tell, but um, I think there are things. My parents taught me this. So it's some, a lot of you guys in here don't know. My parents are Jim and Diane Wilson. Um, and I, numbers of times, I can't tell you, my dad would stop when somebody's car was broken or we found a guy that was passed out on the side of the highway and took him to the ER and lady in our neighborhood had cancer. My mom made a week's worth of meals. Like, this was my parents' ministry. It's what they did. And, and I didn't know any better. I just thought that's the way things were, would do it. Uh, we're done. But my dad also thought my sons need to learn this. And so I didn't like it much at all. But he had these three widows, and we cut their grass every week. And I was so mad. Like, all my friends are over here doing this, and here I am cutting an acre of grass with a push mower. And one of the ladies had five acres, and that took forever. She did make dinner, though. It was kind of nice. But, but, <laughs> it's, but we cut their grass. And, and I, I really was, my heart was not pleased with my father for doing that. And I did it very begrudgingly. Um, and when we moved back to Denver, I was really looking for opportunities for my kids to serve. Because I wanted them to think this world is not for your benefit and, you know, pleasure. It is for you to give stuff away. And so we're sitting down at some place and this old lady sits at the table with us and she starts talking and we actually know some common people. And then she goes, I just really need somebody to help me with my yard. My husband died and I thought, problem solved. So I went and tortured my children for three years and they really liked it. They did. And they developed a relationship with somebody who was from a different generation than them. And we cut her grass and, and they they think Joanna's her name is very dear to them. Um, and crazy thing, I was talking with my brother last week, he lives in San Antonio, and he was mentioning that he has a widow that his kids take care of. And I thought, there's my dad's legacy right there. His sons and his grandchildren are learning to share the gospel with people around you. But you've got to make time. There were, there were numbers of Saturdays where I am taking my kids over there, they're whining and complaining the whole way. My yard has got grass seven feet high and, you know, like, but it costs you something to serve, guys. It does. But in the end, it's worth it. And, but we cannot take the experience we have and the witness of Jesus out of sharing the gospel. It's not about a socioeconomic, politic thing. We, we have to make it personal. Otherwise, I don't want to do it. I, my, my motivation, but, but when, we, when we talk about Jesus, I'm excited about it. And I hope that as you think about Jesus, you get excited about it. So let me talk about my part in the Great Commission. And so I, um, one of the things that somebody told me I, I, I needed to, to tell you guys a little more, because um, you don't know who Doris Watson is. So way back in like 1983, Doris Watson was my secretary at my elementary school at Brandywine Elementary. She was also the third and fourth grade Sunday school teacher here at Grace when we were at J.P. Ryan. And there were only like five of us boys, and so they had put us on the stage behind the curtain, um, you know, backstage in the elementary cafeteria. So that's where we met. It wasn't actually the best place, but it, right there, she led me to the Lord at 10 years old. And 
one of the things that I'll tell you, so I went all the way through the school system here. I graduated, I went to Gwynn Park High School. I was one of three professing Christians in my class. And uh, my first two years of high school, I really tried to hide out and, and just not be seen, not be noticed. I thought everything would be okay. Just keep my head down, I'll get out of here, I'll be fine. And one day in my sophomore year, one of my teammates, his name was Jeff Jury, he turned to me and said, you're one of those Christians, right? And I thought, shoot, how did you know that? And Because um, I tried not to say Christian stuff. I didn't, you know, and I even tried to play, like, blend in and do the stuff they did, and it just didn't work. And the Lord really spoke to me. He said, Mark, you heard me say in Scripture, you cannot hide your light. People see it no matter what. And so from that point on, I, I changed, and I, I thought, okay, if I can't hide, then I might as well do something about it. So, I, Bill, were you the first evangelism explosion leader for team? So Bill was my first evangelism explosion trainer. And so we went around, and we went to a ton of my friends' houses. And I'd love to tell you that it was awesome, and they all accepted Christ. Um, asked Bill, shaking his head, because no, it didn't. Like, one night, we walked out of one of my friends' houses, and, like, it just, like, the mom and the daughter had this fight in front of us. It was really, like, you're not a Christian? And anyway, we're like, oh, dear. Um, uh, yeah, it was bad. But. But I actually lost most of my friends, and they would not talk to me. And in fact, when I came back, I, I met a girl on, on Facebook who was a friend of mine in high school, and she became a believer and then contacted me later, and I was at her house on Friday with her husband, and she said, what, those other people won't talk to you? I'm like, no, no, they still won't talk to me all these years later. Um, it's weird. But all to say is I looked around and saw this sea of people. We didn't have FCA. Only one church had a youth pastor, Riverdale Baptist. And there just wasn't young life. We didn't, didn't have it. And the Lord said, Mark, this is what I'm calling you to, to share the gospel. And so I went to college, met my wonderful wife. Um, we heard about Canes. I heard about this group of people overseas who were military kids on bases that didn't have youth pastors. And I said, sign me up. There we go, because I was a military kid. And we did that for 23 years. We shared the gospel with military kids. 20 of it, and then the last three were something different. And that was fantastic. Loved it. Military kids all over the world got to hear about Jesus because of us obeying the call to go. We moved back to Denver. Um, we've been there, and I moved into the HR role, um, recruiting missionaries. And something just wasn't working in my heart. And recruiting missionaries is super important. Um, but I was broken, and I couldn't, couldn't, no amount of prayer, exercise, whatever, just didn't fix it. Until the Lord said, Mark, your heart's telling you something that your head won't acknowledge, which is, I need you to move someplace else. And so he did. So I looked for seven months for a position. Like, you heard me say, I applied to a lot of church jobs. I thought I was a pretty good candidate. Got nothing. Zero. Like, <laughs> it was pretty bizarre. Um, and while I'm doing all this other stuff, this mission organization that I had worked with to train our missionaries, um, I was doing a webinar for them. They said, hey, have you ever considered joining us? And I thought, okay, sure. Um, I wasn't terribly interested because uh, that's I was looking over here. I wasn't calibrated, like I said. And uh, they interviewed us twice. I applied. We went out. We thought, well, they're paying for our plane tickets. Let's go see what they have to say. So we went out, and when we met them, something changed radically. And they said, Mark, would you like to be a part of a movement that is 50 sending movements in 50 countries around the world? And all of a sudden, I went, yes, that is what I want. And my heart 
aligned. Like it, it, and, and again, remember, I wasn't even looking here. The Lord brought it this way. And so that mission is called the Center for Mission Mobilization. And what they want to do is, you guys think about the Great Commission. You, get, you send people to the mission field. They go over here. And for lots of years, we've sent people. They go over here, and they've evangelized and discipled really well. How many believers are in China now? 80 million. Brazil, 70 million. Kenya, 60 million. You can go um, Nigeria. I mean, just keep going right down the list. We have evangelized and discipled really well. Do you know how many missionaries the United States sends with our 90 million believers? About 45,000. Korea outdoes us by about 20,000 more. They, they, they're way smaller than us and send like 60 to 65,000 missionaries. What would your guess be on China? Some of you guys that know already, you can't say. They send 2,200. Do you see the disparity? So do you see what we need to do? We need to help them join the Great Commission. They are doing it, but they can offer so much more. Brazil only sends 1,200. You can go down the list, and it's just, it, it is striking. So we, 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 I say the mission, has identified 50 countries with mature church networks, fruitful believers, and economic means that can send missionaries to the rest of the world. Think about places Chinese missionaries can go that American missionaries can't, or Brazilian missionaries, or Kenyan missionaries. They can be, like Kathy said, they can, like her, refresh, you're the best person to reach your peers. They're also the best person to reach their neighbor nations. The, it's the third movement in Great Commission. It's mobilizing the nations. And so that's what I'm going to be a part of. My role is very specific in that. So after getting people to go to the field, what do you think the next biggest hindrance to going to the mission field is? There it is. I would recruit 20 people to Cadence. Um, as soon as they heard it was a fundraising position, I'd only have three left. It, it just is. It's hard. Money freaks us out, right? And so uh, one of the things that Center for Mission Mobilization has done is they've created a division called Support Raising Solutions. And they make missionaries spend 30 hours studying how God has always funded his ministry. And then they teach them best practices on how to raise funding. And in the last six years, they've trained 15,000 missionaries from 600 ministries. That's what I get to be a part of, is helping the Great Commission workers go to the field. And then on the other end, the thing we're most excited about is um, we've got calls and emails last week from South Africa, Philippines, Malaysia, and China. They want us to come and train their missionaries, their indigenous missionaries, how to raise their funding. That's pretty darn exciting, right? So that's what I get to be. That's my part of the Great Commission. Um, and Grace has always had a part in my life. I mean, I just don't know that I would have ever been aware of these things, and it was so fortunate that we were at this church um, and that it had Great Commission focus. So thanks for your time. Thanks for all the ways you guys give to us. Um, and I do hope in all of my mission talk that you don't forget the most important thing we said here today. Jesus isn't saying, like when we're asking about this kingdom stuff, he said, that's not our business. The most important thing is that you witnessed him in your life. And from that witness is what you testify, it's how you love, it's how you appreciate. It, it's the example in which you replicate in other people's life. That is where it starts. All this other stuff, if you get that why right, this other stuff just happens because God puts it in your path. And so I just want to make sure that we end on that because that's the most important thing. So thanks. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you for this church's legacy. 
Thanks for the passion of the people who shared the gospel and had us with eyes for the community around us and our lost friends. Thanks for the way in which they've trained leaders and sent them into the world. And God, I pray for these people that they would hear your spirit this week and remember the great ways in which they have witnessed you and your works. And I pray that they'd be able to testify those to the people around them. And I pray that you would put opportunities in their path that they would recognize and obey. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.